Hey everybody, welcome to Hacking Into Security, your career-related cybersecurity show. I'm your host, Ricky Burke, the InfoSec recruiter, and regularly we'll be catching up with a variety of guests from CISOs, entrepreneurs, VCs, new people into the industry, and more. Each sharing their story, industry knowledge, and advice on how others can navigate success in their career. So sit back, and I hope you enjoy the conversation. Hi, and welcome to another episode of Hacking Into Security. So today's episode, I'm very, very thankful that we have Steve Katz with us. Steve, welcome, and thanks for coming on. Thank you, Ricky, and, and thank you. You are in one of my favorite countries in the whole world. <laughs> I'm very glad to hear that. Well, for those that may not know Steve, I'm going to share a bit about his background to share some details about the context of our conversation. So Steve was the first ever CISO. He became the CISO for Citigroup in 1995. He's an executive advisor to Deloitte, is on the advisory boards for a number of organizations. Steve has testified before Congress on numerous information security issues and was appointed as the first financial services sector coordinator for critical infrastructure protection by the Secretary of the Treasury. He was also the first chairman of the Financial Services Information Sharing and Analysis Center, and is an advisor to the National Health Sharing and Analysis Center Board of Directors. Steve also mentors and coaches CISOs. Wow, that is some background, Steve. Thank you so much for coming on. I have been the most fortunate person in the world, I think. <laughs> so I'm really keen, to be honest, just to get to know you and, and hear more about your experiences. There's a lot of depth and, and things that I think others can benefit from you. So love to guess get into that a bit more. So first of all, my question to people always is, who are you? On a personal level, we, my wife and I have been married for almost 50 years. We raised five children and we have 13 very happy, very successful grandchildren. Wow. All, and I owe that all to my wife who kept them, kept things going while I was traveling around the globe working through either Morgan Guarantee, JP Morgan Chase or, or Citigroup. But just again, I'm very fortunate in that I've been part of the information security community, a cyber risk community, way, way before it had a name and way, way before there were any recognized functions and just helped it grow, watched it grow and have met some of the most incredible people that anyone would be lucky enough to meet. It's amazing. You, you must have a very patient and understanding wife. Absolutely. Also, probably... She thinks her main, among the many, many roles, and, and, and also in addition to her patients, view was also one of keeping humility alive, hosting a meeting of a couple of hundred people at the White House Conference Center, 200 people that was introduced by the Secretary of the Treasury, and people hanging on every word, and really trying to figure out how to form this thing that ultimately became the FSI SAC. And came home with some napkins that had the presidential seal on them. Walked in the door and feeling about ten feet tall, with my head, you know, barely making through the door. <laughs> and my wife looks at me and says, "Glad you're home. Take out the garbage." <laughs> Welcome back to reality. <laughs> Absolutely right. So, as I sort of first mentioned, so you you were the world's first CISO. So, really, my question is, how how did that come about? Because obviously, things were very different a few years ago. I could probably rewind before that and I'll lead you up to it. One of my very early jobs coming out of university 
and was with First National City Bank, which also ultimately became Citicorp and then uh, Citigroup. And we had an internal consulting department. And one of the things we began to require was ID and password modules in COBOL and Fortran code. And these were nothing more than clear text tables, which by today's world is absolutely absurd. But it was sort of the embryonic entry into security because there really wasn't any. And that was in the, I guess, uh, mid-70s. And mainframe security was just coming about. The bank regulators here in the States put out a requirement that companies had to obtain a mainframe security product. So all the banks went out and did that. And then two years later, they woke up and said, banks now have to turn them on. <laughs> so I was sitting happily in uh, the world of First National City Bank and got a call that Morgan Guarantee was going to start a data security department where they come in and help get that started. And again, nothing really existed. So at the time, there were like three mainframe security products, RACF, Top Secret, and ACF2. At the time, the worst of the three was RACF, the IBM product, is now been the only survivor and turned out to be the best one long term. So we came in and you know, got that turned on, and then we had mainframe security put in place. And anytime there was a glitch in mainframe operations, the feedback was RACF brought us to a halt. And when we said, look, we'll back out RACF and see if the problem goes away, we only had to try to do that once and the problem didn't go away. So RACF became more of an accepted standard. Next thing was we moved along, we had the smaller departmental computers coming into play, the tech backs and you know, digital equipment technology and IBM AS400. So we then had to figure out how security would be provided there. And then moving forward a little bit, 83, 84, 85 PCs and a Max came into play and the CIO turned around and said, no way will they come into the company. They're not going to be allowed unless well, good history. Training floor and financial floor went out bought their own and expensed it. So as that moved forward, they said, okay, we have these funny little personal computers, but they can't be networked and they can't attach to anything. And that fell by the wayside. <laughs> and then it, probably in mid-80s, I learned probably one of my, my two best lessons I think I could possibly learn. And it, they've helped me tremendously going forward. World of PC viruses were getting some press, and at least in the papers here in the States. And they were relatively innocuous. Letters that fall to the bottom of the screen, funny little sayings would crop up. And the gentleman called me and said, look, he, he was the founder of a, an antivirus product. Could he come in and demonstrate it to me? And I said, hey, sure, well, I had nothing to lose. And he came in, I had you know, a couple of five and a quarter inch uh, disks. We loaded them on a few desktops in my area and they found a number of viruses. So went to my boss and said, Bill, can I, can I talk to you? We've got this thing, problem with PC viruses. And his, his response back to me was, hey, Steve, I've got a presentation to the board. So I don't have time now, but meet me in front of the boardroom tomorrow for a few minutes, a little before 10, and just tell me what it's all about. And he said he'd take it from there. So I went up the next day, met him in, the, in front of the boardroom, spent about five minutes explaining it to him. And he looked at me and said, take the first five minutes of my presentation. And I explained this to the board of directors. Wow. 
So I said, you know, the first thing was, oh my God. And then you have to picture the boardroom at Morgan Guarantee. It was the table, it was a huge room. The table probably cost more than most people's homes. The, <laughs> some of the top financial leaders of the world were on the board of directors. And pictures of past leaders of JP Morgan, of Morgan Guarantee, as well as other leaders around the world. And I looked around and said, oh my God, I just hope the presentation gods are with me. So the first lesson, and it came, you know, just a, a bolt of lightning. I said, introduce myself. And I said, you know, have any of you heard you know, about these computer viruses that have been in the newspaper and on some of the TV stations? And I saw some heads go up and down. I said, well, they are real. I said, so picture a, you're down in our trading room downstairs. And eight suddenly become six, and fives become nines, three become zeros. What would that do to our trading positions? Wow, yeah. And is it, could that actually happen? Well, not at the time, but yeah, it's theoretically, they could have. So the question was, can you make it go away? And I said, I can't make it go away, but I can reduce the likelihood of it happening. The two lessons were, tell a story that businesses will understand because Data security, information security is a business risk management issue. Technology doesn't have risk, and certainly security doesn't have risk. Businesses have risk. Mm. So tell a story that relates back to the business risk. And second is, no, I can't make it go away, but make it less likely. And that, and that, so be absolutely transparent. And they said, okay, what will it take? I said, $400,000. and said, you've got the budget, go do it. What out of interest, four hundred thousand, what would be the equivalent now? God, you're probably talking about a couple of million, I would think. Okay. They didn't bat an eye, but they understood the yeah. risk to the business. You didn't make the conversation technical. You made it in a way they could understand, which is still such an important quality. The CISO should never have a technical conversation with business leadership, executive leadership, or the board. Yeah. They are interested in what you need and why. Not how. It's like you go into a, a restaurant and you for breakfast and you order sausage and eggs. You don't want to know how the sausage is made. You just want the sausage to taste good. <laughs> yeah. But that has carried me through pretty much up to the present day. And I was sitting in my office back in you know back at Morgan, and I guess night very early 1995, and the rumor on Wall Street was that Citicorp had been hacked, but it was kept for well under, under wraps. And I, I got a call from a recruiter who said, would I be interested in talking to Citicorp about a security position? And my goal was to find out what happened at Citi so it would not happen at Morgan. <laughs> yeah, makes sense. And it turned out that their international funds transfer system, which was in a DEC VAX environment, free internet, had been hacked into by a couple of kids in Russia. Wow. And it made it became a board item. The board of directors were in, involved. And the directions from the board was find somebody who's going to be a C-level executive to establish the global corporate security function at Citicorp 
and I, and I was really two levels down from CEO. The man I reported to reported to the CEO. That's a very big call for back then. If the board is involved, you do what has to be done. Yeah. And the interview process actually took almost six months. Wow. They offered me the job. I started, I guess it was July of 1995. And they told me when I accepted the job that two things were going to come about. One was they were going to announce the hack a month after I got there. <laughs> Thank you very much. You just shot my career to hell. That's a, uh, that's a, that's a great welcome present. But the other thing, which was really, I guess, even better, City had probably 300,000 employees at the time and 120 companies. And they said, you have a blank check. Build the oh. best security organization function anywhere in the globe. Wow. Just go do it. Which is a great challenge considering it had never really been done at that time. So so many things that we look about, look at as standard practice today, BISOs, you know, business information security officers, business risk, all brand new stuff, but there's no model to follow. Yeah. The other was do what you can to when we announce the hack, to meet with our top 20 international clients and limit the hemorrhage. You know, that we expect to see. So went out, and I, I guess I was sitting in my backyard very early on a an August morning, and my wife opens the window and says, "You just made the news. They talked about the hack." <laughs> Thank you very much. And got phone calls, and that you know, when I get into the office, saying, "You really screwed up your career, didn't you?" I made appointments with the CFOs. Uh, as a treasury, corporate controllers, as city's top 20 international clients. And so this, so they announced it early August, by mid-August I was on a plane and really didn't get back for probably almost a month. Wow. And the, we're coming back to the what and the why. I put together, I guess, a half a dozen very, very simple questions. And quickly, you know, that it used to discuss the issue with the CFOs and, uh, and treasurers. Do you care about who you're transacting with? Once you know who they are, do you want to be able to control what they do? If it's transaction, would you want to have a signed receipt? Is the privacy of information important? Is the integrity of information important? If there's a problem, do you want to know about it? And how soon do you want to know about it? And, it, you, know, and you can see the reactions to each of those questions. And then I said, okay, for each of these, here's how City is doing this today for all six, uh, six areas. Here's what went wrong. Here's how City will be doing this by the end of the year. And what I said before I leave, I said, here's my home number. At that time, here's my page number. Here's my office number. Here's my secretary's number. I said, I urge you to do two things after I leave. See how you, your companies are answering these questions internally, because you really want to figure that out. And two, go back to your other banks and find out how they are answering these questions. To a company, they reached out to me over the following month saying, we spoke to our other banks. They told us they can't talk about it because it was security. And I said, and I said my view is that's patently absurd. You need to know. Yeah, there's a material interest. 
we didn't lose a customer. Wow. Talk about a problem that's understandable at a business level and talk about, so what you're doing, why you're doing it, and why it's important. Well, it shows obviously a level of ownership of the situation and Mm -hmm. transparency. Whereas I guess if others are being cagey and and not sharing, then they're going to feel more comfortable working with you. Mm -hmm. But it really should be one of, okay, there are issues out there. Let's talk about them as candidly as we can and how we can solve them. And there is no silver bullet. Here's the changes we will make over the next six months. And let's stay in touch because we're going to continue to make changes as time goes on. Mm. So out of interest, so for you, there was no blueprint in terms of walking in as a, as a, as a CISO. What did you actually do on day one, knowing that these things or the, the hack announcement was going to be coming? I sat there and said, what do I think? And this is, you know, I'm a pretty decent visionary and I'm really darn good at, at identifying talent and also recognizing that I never, ever wanted to be the smartest person in the room. So I said, first thing, I don't want to do anything precipitously because I'm bound to make a mistake if I, if I just jump in. So take some time to think. And then I said, all right, what are my strong suits? And my strong suits are really finding talent. And my strong suits are also asking very stupid questions. <laughs> and so, all right, now let me go find people who are going to be motivated and excited and to work on a brand new area where we're going to set the stage for what's going to happen over the next 5, 10, or 15 years, which require people who are extraordinarily good problem solvers, extraordinarily bright, extraordinarily curious. And my general question to all of them is, my job is to make, this, make your job so darn challenging that you're going to wake up at three o'clock on a Sunday morning and say, I've got the answer. <laughs> and if you don't want a job that is that challenging, don't, and we make an offer, don't accept it. And I got some incredibly bright, motivated people who said, yeah, I want to make a difference. I want to build something that's never been built before. I want to set a direction. And my team was nothing short of incredible, totally committed. I also brought on a gentleman who essentially became my, if I were the CEO of this, in, of this corporation called the C- Office of the CISO, I was the CEO. He was the chief operating officer. He kept okay. the wheels on the bus and kept things moving while I could be the visionary running around the world and meeting with business executives. I was the CEO. I was the chief marketing officer. I was the chief evangelist. I was the person who met with the, the C-suite leaders at, at City our regional business leaders, and he put all the metrics together. He did all the follow-up. He made sure that the wheels stayed in the bus when they were put on there and did all the reporting and metrics for me. That's a very good, I guess, partnership and and relationship to have. The other thing I did, which was really uh, beneficial, my admin walked in, after I guess, first or second day with something called security variances because it was a small security group in the... uh, operations area. And these were things that business leaders wanted me to sign and approve so they go forward with things that made absolutely no sense from my perspective. Mm. So I looked at the stack and said, I'm high enough in the corporation. I'm writing a new corporate policy. We will now have something called a security acceptance process. And at this time, it's a paper form. And it was a very simple one-pager. 
here is the policy or standard that we feel we can't comply with. Here is the risk as we understand it. Here's when we will comply or not. And there was one line in the bottom that said, moving forward with this is against the recommendation of the CISO. The metrics that we put together for the board and the risk committee was number of risk acceptances by line of business, which made the business head somewhat competitive, and number of risk acceptances against the recommendation of the CISO. So anytime something came in and I thought it was egregious, I would call the business head or head or one designate or designating and say, I really don't think you should do this. If you want to move forward forward with it, go ahead, but it will be against my recommendation. So, and that is one of the metrics that will, will be reported to the board. And none of them felt that they wanted to go to the board and explain to them why they understood security risk better than I did. So in the 10 years I was at City, we never had one that went against my recommendation. But the key word was recommendation. Yeah. I didn't own it. I recommended it. I guess after that, yeah. What, what happened then in terms of, I guess, establishing the role, the team, and, and building that out? We put together... Each major line of business and sub-businesses uh, sub put a business information security officer in place. They worked for the line of business and they matrix into me. We put together a security training program, which is a week training, weekly and monthly phone calls. And they would be the eyes and ears of security into the business and the eyes and ears of the business into our security program. It, and it became very much of a working partnership. And then we put in regional geographic security staff that were directly reporting to me. And depending on all, everyone, everyone in my geographic program were multilingual. Gosh. So they were able to sit and, you know, when we talked about the security program, why we're doing things, what it was all about, why it was important, they were able to explain it in the local language. Yeah, very helpful. Again, that that, that understanding and, and communication. Because mm-hmm. so much of it is communication. We also put in a process to vet new products, which is a joint effort between my organization and the folks who ran technology and engineering. And it became a partnership. We came up with the what and the why. The technology folks, the uh, security technology folks and security architects came up with the how, and then we went ahead and Verified that the how met the what and the why. We also put in a, a security assessment process, which we spent time working with the general auditor to make sure he was okay with it, where somebody on my team would go in and assess the level of security in a line of business and make recommendations for improvement, rather. The way things worked in audit at the time is if there was an issue and you had a corrective action plan, it didn't count against you. Right. And the agreement I had with the general auditor was that we would go in, do the assessment, and the results would be shared between me and the head of the line of business. And I would not notify internal audit about it unless it was something truly egregious. Business leadership liked it because they had fewer audit issues and things got corrected quickly. General auditor was happy because progress was being made. So it was a three-way partnership that worked very, very well. Time for a quick break. I'm Ricky Burke. In my full-time role, I'm the founder and director of CyberSec People, a leading cybersecurity recruitment company. 
where we support organizations across the US and APAC in hiring cybersecurity talent. Through our connections and reach into the security community, our deep industry knowledge, we save organizations time when hiring. We have a 98% success rate and a three-year track record that demonstrates we only have to send on average two applicants to find success. If your organization is hiring, reach out as we'd love to discuss what that means for you. In the meantime, thank you for listening and enjoy the rest of the podcast. As someone who now mentors and coaches CISOs, there's, there's obviously that experience you can impart onto them. But for you, I guess you weren't able to lean on people in those roles back then. So what were the biggest learning curves for you? Patience. I was a visionary and wanted to see things happen faster than they possibly could. So it's patience. The other was, and this is, this is kind of interesting, all of my direct reports and one down had opportunities to present to business leadership. And the discussions I had with all of them, and I think it's very pertinent today as well, is every business executive, every member of the board believes correctly or incorrectly, but more often than not correctly, that they are pretty darn bright. When you go to explain something to them and they don't understand it, their view is they, they were smart enough to understand it. You weren't competent enough to explain it. <laughs> that it okay. I, and I said, I will allow everybody to have one call back to me saying they were incompetent, not a second. And every time you're going to make a presentation or review a problem with an executive level or the board, make sure your presentation passes the grandma test. Take it home and explain it to your grandma. If she understands it, you're going to be okay. And the other is any issue that you're going to explain, any metric we put together has to have a so what. When my team would come into me and with an issue, whatever it may be, my first question is, okay, you told me, now so what? And they gave the next level. I said, now, so what? Mm. And when we came up with a so what that was meaningful and relevant, we were in the right place. And probably the, the words my, on my team and anyone on the, uh, we had, I had about 600, 700 people working for me. The thing they hated hearing more than anything else is, okay, guys, I hear you. So what? <laughs> and it forced them to dig into the very essence of what the issue really was and what had to be done to save it or correct yeah. it. And so, it also let them know that every one of them there was smarter than I was and no more than I did. But you have to make sure I understand it. And I'll make, then I'll make a decision. So what advice do you give to maybe aspiring CISOs or, or people sort of new into the job? There's a, a lot more experience, I guess, you can advise them on these days. I, I love that question. And let's break into two parts. Uh, okay. First will be the CISO wannabe. Hasn't taken the job. And my first question is, why, do, why the heck do you want to do that? And you would expect that they would have an answer other than, I think it's exciting and I'll make more money. It's not going to work. And more often than not, these folks are really, really solid technologists. And I said, you are a technological expert. You have the best safety net in the world. You walk out of your company Friday, you will have a better job on Monday. And you've spent a career developing really hard skills. And you're brilliant at it. 
And now you're looking to take on a, a role that you have not prepared, necessarily prepared for and requires significant knowledge and use of very soft skills. It's communication, it's negotiation, it's marketing, it's sales. And you're going to go from being a technological expert to being technologically proficient to being technologically knowledgeable. And you may never climb that mountain again. Do you really want to do that? Big difference. And a number of folks have said, no, I think I'll continue being the brilliant technologist. And I said, good move. Okay, interesting. For the new CISO, I walk in and and you talk about frustration. And this is really interesting. Okay, congratulations, you took the job at the CISO. Yeah, great. Why does your company have a security program? Now, you would expect you to have a very clear answer to that, right? I hope so. And what you, well, it's required. It's, it's the examiner's required. It's the legislation. It's, well, why? What, you know, what is, you know, why is your security program beneficial to your company? And the second part of that is, what is your company's mission? Because every company has a mission statement on, on the website. And that generally ends my first meeting by saying, go out and figure out why, you, why your company has a security program and how your program ties into your company's mission. And I don't want to hear that it's required because that is not the answer. Now, what is the business benefit your program is going to deliver? Come back to what's the so what. And then we start to talk about how does your company generate revenue? Fair question, right? Mm. How does your company generate earnings? Fair question, right? Definitely. Uh, what are the products and services your company provides? Fair question, right? Who are the business leaders in your company? You can go out, you have, you have a directory, you have everything you want to see about your company on Google or LinkedIn. Figure out you know, what value you're going to be bringing to these lines of business. How are you going to add value to them? Because anything you do has to add value to the, to the line of business. You're going to make life easier for the customer. You're going to make life easier for the staff. You're going to lower costs. You're going to improve productivity. And oh, by the way, you're going to enhance security. <laughs> what is the risk that you, you, you're looking to mitigate? What are the risks you're going to deal with? Because executives and boards deal with risk. They don't care about security. But they do care about risk. So what are the risks you, you, you plan to address? How are we going to figure out what those risks are? How do you demonstrate that you're doing something that's valuable? And we generate answers over a significant period of time, but it is get to know your business leadership. Make sure that when they, they you get to know them and, have, and see them regularly. You want to make sure that when they see you, you are not the little dark cloud saying, oh, we've got a problem. Develop personal credibility. But in doing that, the credibility has to be not only do you know security and cyber risk, you also have an understanding of what you can do to improve or make things better for the the business itself. What's the business value? What's the so what? I like that. For those organizations hiring their first CISO, I I reckon there's probably learning curves for them as well. What, What advice would you give to organizations creating maybe that first role or, or looking to, I guess, mature their security environment? Hopefully they've reached out to others that have a CISO in place, again, and find out what is it they are looking to accomplish with that CISO. 
If you're just looking for somebody who's going to help you check a box, a compliance box, when something goes wrong, you're going to have to do an awful lot of catching up just, just to fix it. Yeah. Uh, figure out what, what role you want this person to play. By the way, going back to your other question, when somebody is interviewing for CISO role, I have, uh, I think it's either six or seven C's that I, you know, have them think about. Okay. And you may want to have your audience think about that. If you're looking to go for a CISO job or interview for a CISO job and go for a job change, the first five or six, you can put in whatever order you want. And the six, the last one should be the last one. And so not in any particular order. Does the job seem challenging? What is the culture of the company? What is the, the chemistry, chemistry between you and the people you're going to be working with? How committed are they to the job itself? The next one is the force fit. It's called commute. How much travel do you have to do? Well, either going to and from work or travel for work itself. Next one, and I sort of received, sort of, you know, stepped out of the way a little bit, but how clear are you about budget, resources, headcount, expectations? And it's only after you get those resolved that you talk about compensation. Because compensation is great for your first two paychecks, but you've, you've forgotten that you've had an increase. <laughs> but if other things don't work out right, you're not going to be a happy guy. Correct. I think that's very re- relevant for any role, to be honest. Mm-hmm. So the, the the money is good, but if you're not enjoying what you do or you're not being supported or being challenged or ticking those other boxes, then yeah, I mean, how committed can you be? The other is never confuse what you do with who you are. So what, what do you mean by that? Don't take yourself too seriously. <laughs> have, have someone ask you to take the trash out. Amen. Yes, exactly. You're going to make mistakes. You're, it, there is going to be a breach. There is going to be an issue. You really have, if you're going to take the job, two things. You're managing risk and managing resilience. And then you're developing credibility. So knowing there is going to be a breach, there is going to be situations where effectively you're called in to, to I guess, have conversations with the board or senior people. What do you think is the best way to prepare for that? Prepare for it way before it happens. Yeah. Way, way before it happens. And making sure that the board understands you cannot drive risk to zero. If you look at a, a trading floor, traders will have bad days. They don't get fired for it. If you look at big pharma, molecular biologists will come up with a compound that they feel is going to cure whatever. It's a great therapeutic. And as you go through trials from phase one to phase two to phase three, you're getting your company to invest anywhere from a couple of hundred million dollars to a billion or billion five. And drugs do fail in phase three where a billion or billion five has been invested. You're not getting fired. You've done the groundwork. And the CISO who is successful will do the groundwork. And, uh, you know, and too many of the CSOs just don't develop the level of credibility that needs to be developed and aren't confident enough to say, I can't guarantee we will never have a breach. If we do, we will find out about it as soon as, you know, as, soon as humanly or technologically possible. 
we will mitigate, prevent as much, much damage as we can, and we'll get ourselves back up and operational as quickly as possible, and we'll make sure that that problem doesn't, that never occurs again. And oh, by the way, my other point on this, and it's not quite that, is never, ever, ever forget your fundamentals. Too many CISOs fall in love with the latest and greatest toy that comes in. Get back and keep your eyes focused on fundamentals at all times. At least 50 to 75% of your problems will be prevented. Good advice. Looking at things from another point of view, what do you think makes a good CISO? Intense curiosity, number one. Knowing you'll never, ever get bored. Absolute honesty. Be credible. Be transparent. And learn and be confident enough to present something to executive leadership or to the board, knowing that you don't have all the answers. And market like crazy. You're an evangelist. That's good advice. And then to those people that you're coaching, I guess what or maybe even again aspiring CISOs, the, the people that maybe want to grow into that role in the, in the years to come, what maybe skills or things should they be preparing for to help them with that job in the future? Learn how to deliver a presentation that is readily understandable. Be executive presentable. If you have a C title, make sure you really have a C role and you have a seat at the C table. And make sure you are there to understand, present what it is you're doing that is valuable to that company. Learn how to develop a presentation. Learn how to market yourself internally. Develop a reputation externally. And be confident that you can discuss what is going on as honestly and as transparently as possible and recognizing that you are a risk advisor. I was told two great pieces of advice early on, and I would urge any aspiring CISO to think about these two things. One, learn to be a diplomat, not a politician. And the quote I love with that is one that was attributed to Churchill who said, be an effective enough diplomat so when you tell somebody to go to hell, they'll ask you for directions. <laughs> and the second is, there are times you're going to be asked to make a decision and times you're going to be asked to make a recommendation. Be aware of which one you are doing. And when you make a recommendation, it is just a recommendation. If it's not taken, don't take it personally. That's great. That's, that's a lot of helpful info, insight there. Thank you, Steve. Uh, my pleasure. Just very off topic, but you've definitely piqued my curiosity. Testing before Congress. What's that like? <laughs> I, I wish it was as good as, a, you know, as important as it sounds. You wind up putting, you put in a statement, first of all, you wind, it wind up going through every kind of legal and regulatory office within the company, putting together a, a testimony. And then you go into, whether it's in the case of the U.S. Senate or the U.S. House, and you give them the cliff notes on what you uh, submitted for, for the record and give them four or five or six things that you think are important relative to what the, what the committee is looking for. And then depending upon whether or not cameras are in the room, you, if cameras are in the room, you'll get some really dopey questions because folks want to get camera time and it looks like they've asked, they're asking some really important questions. <laughs> 
And when cameras are not in the room, you will get uh, some pretty decent questions about views on security itself, or where, where, we thought they, where I thought the industry was going, what things could be improved, what levels of risk did I see taking place. But the worst thing in the world for testimony is if there are cameras in the room. That's good to know. <laughs> That's, that it can be intimidating. I brought my wife with me a couple of times. Yeah. Must, it must be feel intimidating. People, these are really our leaders. I said, yeah. But it's, uh, they're generally speaking, they're very, very well-intentioned. And hopefully, in most cases, they're well-briefed by their staff. Sometimes they are so busy, they're not particularly well-briefed. In other cases, there's a little light and bell ring. So they're in the committee room where you're testifying. And now there's a vote in the main chamber. So everything stops. They leave and go for the vote and they come back a half hour later and no one quite, quite remembers where we left off. Right. So how, how do you pick up from there? I think... I believe the last thing I said was. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it's it's fun, but it's a little, once the first couple of times is intimidating, yeah. and then after that, it's like, okay, what is the message I want to deliver? What are the four, five, or six golden nuggets I want to want to have them remember? And if you remember two or three of them, it was a successful testimony. <laughs> well, it sounds like great opportunities to, um, I guess, yeah, share share more advice and information. Obviously, what others do about it is a different thing, but at least you've had the opportunity to do that. Again, when the questions are meaningful, I feel you've accomplished something. The questions aren't meaningful. Like, so I'm there testifying on cyber risk, cameras in the room, and one fine gentleman says, well, what do you think about nuclear weapons in uh, suitcases? <laughs> and my only question was, sir, I think that would be very dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> what else can you say? Uh, not, not quite your area of expertise, Steve. Yeah. Good. Look, on that note, I want to thank you again for your time. It's been really, honestly, a pleasure speaking with you. And thank you for sharing that today. My pleasure, Ricky. And feel free to reach out anytime. Excellent. Thank you. Thanks for listening. And if you've got any questions, comments, please reach out to me. You'll find me online anywhere, CyberSec, Ricky. And if you would like to be involved in the future, maybe be a guest and then reach out as well. Thanks for your time. Have a great day. Bye.